26 this morning. Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26. Before we get started, i got one more announcement I want to share with you. You know, what we've been trying to do here the last couple years is to make sure the focus is always on seeing souls get saved and the opportunity to present the gospel. You've heard me say many times out here, it's not about these four walls. It's not about making sure that Harvest Fellowship is, is full. It's not about any of that. It's making sure the gospel is being proclaimed to give an opportunity for people that don't know Christ to come do it. So we're trying to give you those outreach opportunities. Uh, we've been praying about doing another mission trip to Mexico. Hopefully next year we'll get some more information. Natalie is leading up this outreach coming up the 18th, where you can go to the nursing homes and represent the Lord. We want to give you another opportunity, and it works in perfectly because just last week in Matthew 25, if you were with us, we talked about how Jesus talked about in verse 36, I was in prison and you came to me. A lot of people want to get involved in prison ministry, but prison ministry is not one of those things you can just show up and say, hello, I'd like to come visit somebody. It doesn't work that way. I want to give you an opportunity here, and this is going to be partnering with the Ridge. And the Ridge is a group that we know and love out here. Ron and Kathy Tiarina, the directors of that, come out here to church and worship with us. They're having an event next Saturday. That would be on uh, December 10th. It's from 5.30 to 8. And all volunteers must be over 18 to be able to go into the facility. You need to arrive about 4 p.m. We'll work out the details if you feel led to go. What's going to happen is this. They're doing a family event. Now think about this. It's a family event. These people don't get a chance to be a family. I remember one time talking to Ron at a, a meeting I was with him, and he had a picture of, a, uh, of somebody that they're ministering to. And he was standing there with his wife and his two daughters at the time. And his daughters looked to be about mid-teenagers and stuff. And I just was thinking about how long is he going to be in for? And I said, how, when will he get out? Ron said he's never getting out. He's never going to walk his daughters down the aisle. He's never going to be able to hold his grandkids. He's never. They have these events where they can come and for a brief moment, brief moment, get a chance to be a family. So next week, we're going to go up. Either Rich is going up or I'm going up or maybe Rich and I are both going to go up. We need to be at Toledo Correctional at 4 o'clock. What we're going to be doing is this, helping set up activities, assisting with a meal, assisting with games and craft activities for the kids. Also getting a chance just to walk around. Talk to some of these families, encourage them, pray with them. You may see a family that's having a moment of struggle, and you get a chance to go over and hopefully represent the Lord to them. Kathy even said, you know what, you may just go hold babies, so that way mom and dad can get a chance to at least sit with each other. Pray about it. This is something that interests you. We're going to be sending a group up next Saturday up to Toledo Correction. Once again, you got to be over 18 to be able to go. We need to get there at 4 o'clock. I mapped it out. I've, I've been there once before. It's on the east side of Toledo. We'll find a location to meet, and we'll maybe try to carpool up or something. Pray about it for a couple of days. If this is something that interests you, contact me. Contact Rich. We'll get the list around. We'll get the final details. And we'll go from there. We'll kind of give you a little bit of background if you've never done a prison visit before, what to expect, what it's going to be like. Keep this in prayer. Great opportunity. We just talked about it last week in Matthew 25. If you feel led to get involved with this, wanted to let you know this. So that's coming up on Saturday next week. So Matthew 26 this morning. Matthew 26. If you haven't been with us the last few weeks, Matthew 24 and 25, we're all about end times. Return of Christ, rapture, second coming, antichrist, tribulation. If you weren't with us, I encourage you to grab a copy of that uh, CD. Get a chance to listen to it online. A great overview of end times. But here in Matthew 26, we're going to be introduced to two hearts. 
the heart of Judas and the heart of Mary. And we're going to talk about the comparison between these two and how they both reacted to Jesus and how that is a picture of how we choose to react to Jesus as well. Let's pray and get started. Lord, good to be here this morning. What a blessing it was just to walk through the back and see all those kids getting ready for the program. We pray for that next Sunday that can be an outreach for you. Lord, all the kids back in the classrooms, what a blessing. Help us to never take that for granted. We're meeting here freely and openly in this beautiful, lit, heated room. Thank you for that. Lord, be with us this morning as we learn and grow in you in your name. Amen. We're down to the final week of Jesus' life. In fact, we're down to the final days of Christ's life. Matthew 26, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, let there be an uproar among the people. A lot of information there. Stuff you need to know about. Final week of Jesus' life. Final days of Christ's life, coming up to Passover. Passover is one of the required feasts that the Jews would need to go to Jerusalem for. Some estimates say that close to two and a half million Jews would show up to Jerusalem. This place was packed, absolutely packed. And what they wanted to do was they wanted to take Jesus. They wanted to get rid of him. Come right out, verse 4, kill him. But verse 5, not during the feast. They don't want to cause an uproar. Well, guess what? God's timetable was Jesus was the Passover lamb. It happened during the feast. If you're not familiar with Passover, it goes back to Exodus when they were coming out of Egypt. And what happened is they sacrificed a lamb for the family. And and then as the Lord and judgment over Egypt killed the firstborn of all the Egyptians, when they sacrificed the lamb, the Jews did, and put the blood on the doorpost, therefore their family was saved. They were passed over. And this was an institution that they kept going and going. Well, Jesus is our Passover lamb. He is symbolic of the sacrifice that takes care of our sins, so therefore we don't face death. This is something I think is important. This last spring, we actually did a couple two-part, three-part series on the Passover and did an abbreviated Passover meal out here at church as a small group. And we'll probably do it again this next spring. So that way, if you've never participated in a Seder meal, a Passover meal, to really understand what it means and represents... I encourage you to do it. It's a real neat blessing. So Christ is this Passover lamb that's sacrificed for all the sins. Now, we're introduced to a man by the name of Caiaphas. Some of you like history, some of you don't. If you don't like history, tune out. I'll see you in about two minutes. The rest of you that like history, fascinating thing. Caiaphas was the high priest at this time. He was appointed by Rome to be the high priest. He's the one in power. The problem was, though, his father-in-law was the high priest before him by the name of Annas. And we'll go talk about him in a little bit. Rome didn't really like Annas, so they removed him and put his son-in-law in power. Well, the problem was this. Caiaphas had the title. Annas had the power. The Jews respected both of them, but Annas was definitely the one that they looked to to be their high priest. Because we know in the book of John, when Jesus is arrested, who do they take Jesus to first? Annas. That's who the one they wanted to deal with. So Caiaphas is the Roman-appointed high priest. He's the one, if you would say, in charge. Why do they like, excuse me, why do they dislike Jesus so much? I mean, what did he do wrong? Jesus has a great verse in John 10 where they get ready to stone Christ. And Jesus says, for what good work do you stone me? You don't like the fact that I healed the sick? You don't like the fact I cast out the demons? You don't like the fact that I fed the hungry? Why did they want to kill him? They wanted to kill him because Jesus is light. And when light shines on darkness, darkness hates light. These guys were sinners. 
They didn't like the fact that Jesus was coming and trying to change the system. They didn't like the fact that Jesus was coming and making things different. So let's get rid of him. When the light shines, darkness flees. Best way to handle Jesus was just get him out of the way. You know what? Nothing's changed today. The Bible says that you guys are the light of the world. So what happens when you go into work and you work amongst darkness? Darkness does not like you. Darkness wants to get rid of you. Darkness flees when you get around. Some of you live in a household where you're the only light. And there's not a lot of other light around. Your family doesn't like you. Why? Because you as the light of the world, as representing Christ, you come into this darkness and darkness flees. It does not like it. And you may have this person at work like, what did I ever do to him? The answer is nothing. But when they see you, you represent Christ. There's a conviction of the Holy Spirit, and they don't want to be around you. Caiaphas, the priests, the religious leadership of the day, they didn't like Jesus. They didn't like what he was doing. They didn't like how they made him feel. They didn't like anything, so we're going to kill him and remove him. That's what's going on now. And we're going to get to that point here in a little bit. But now the story changes a little bit. Because we're kind of introduced to what Christ is going through at this time, but it also brings into Judas's betrayal. So follow the logic here with this. Verse 6. When Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to him, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. As surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached, and the whole world, what this woman has done will be also told as a memorial for her. Now this is kind of interesting. Just get the facts down a little bit here. At this man Simon's house, he was a leper, so it sure looks like Jesus healed him. And so they're kind of at this house with this meal. And Mary's there. Now, this is where the New Testament can get a little confusing. There's a lot of Marys in the New Testament. You have Mary, the mother of Jesus. You have Mary, the mother of James. You have Mary Magdalene. And then you also have Mary, the sister to Martha and sister to Lazarus. The Mary we're talking about here is Mary, the sister to Martha, and Mary, the sister to Lazarus. So keep that in the back of your mind. Of all the Marys, this Mary is the sister to Martha and the sister to Lazarus. What is it with this oil? Okay, a little bit of tradition. 2,000 years ago, women would have what is called a dowry. And they would have these flasks of oil, which were very expensive. We know from the other gospel accounts, this oil is worth one year's wage. That's a lot. And they would wear it around their neck. And it represented their literal life savings, if you will. It was very important to them. It was actually so important to them that they were actually allowed to wear it on the Sabbath. Which, if you know anything about Jewish rules and traditions, that's a very big deal. They were allowed to carry this wherever they went. And so Mary taking this, she doesn't just take a little bit out. She breaks it and she covers Jesus' head. Other gospel accounts, she covers his feet. She gives up her entire savings for Christ. So we'll get to that in a little bit. But everybody is bothered by this. Verse 9, verse 8, excuse me. Why this waste? But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to him, why do you trouble the woman? Now, let's talk a few points about this. Let's talk about Mary. Every time you see this Mary, she's always at the feet of Jesus in the Bible. We see her three different times in the New Testament. She's always at the feet of Jesus. The first time you see her is the classic example in Luke, 
where Martha's busy serving, she gets upset, and why don't you tell my sister to do something? Where's Mary at? At the feet of Jesus. Next time that we see her, we see her when her brother dies, Lazarus. And when Jesus shows up, the first thing Mary does is run to Jesus and does what? Go right to his feet. We see her here now at the feet of Jesus. Question comes up is where do you choose to sit? At the feet of Jesus is where you want to be. That's that special connection. That's where it's at. Martha's busy, but Mary just wants to be near Christ. And Jesus told Martha, your sister has chosen the good thing. The good thing. Death, sadness, sorrow. Where do you want to be? At the feet of Jesus. Here, getting ready for his death. What do you want to be at? At the feet of Jesus. You choose where you sit in your relationship with Christ. And I'm going to tell you right now, you want to get as close to him as you possibly can. In a couple weeks, when we talk about Peter denying Christ, there's a really powerful verse that says that Peter followed Jesus at a distance. And how many believers follow Christ at a distance? You want to be as close to him as you possibly can. What happens when you sit at the feet of Jesus? You get it. You understand things a little bit better. You understand. Guess what? Of all the people in the Bible, it seems like this Mary is the only one that really seemed to get Jesus' death and resurrection. Okay, who showed up at the tomb? Mary Magdalene. Who showed up at the tomb? The other women to anoint his body. This Mary seemed to get it. He's going to die. I'm going to do it now because he's not going to stay dead. How did she get it? Because she was always at his feet. There was a closeness there. There was a relationship there. She seemed to understand it and get it. Now, how can we have that today? Be in the word. Be in worship. Be in ministry. You get to choose where you sit during the day. Sit as close as you can to Christ with whatever you're doing. You're on the way to work? Sit close to his feet by listening to worship. Listen to a teaching. You get up in the morning, you can check the headlines, sure. Or you can start out at the feet of Jesus saying, I want to be in the word. You got free time. You can do what you want. Go fill it. It may not be bad. But you could also go choose to do ministry, which is sitting at the feet of Jesus. You will not find peace, joy, sitting at the feet of the world. You won't. When you sit at the feet of Christ, you'll get it. This Mary seemed to got it, get it because every time we see her, she's at the feet of Christ. You know what the problem is when you sit at the feet of Christ? People are going to look at your life and say, verse 8, why this waste? Why this waste? You know, God has a different definition of waste, doesn't he, than what we do. You know, waste. Well, let's look at God's definition of waste. Some people look at getting up on a Sunday a.m. to go to church. That's a waste. Some people look at missions work, <coughs> excuse me, as a waste. Some people look at spending time in the Bible as a waste. Now, it's kind of interesting. God has a different definition of wasting. We were talking about the Old Testament prophets a while ago at a small group study. And we talked about how a lot of times when you see them in the Bible, they're out in the wilderness on their own. And if you wanted them, you would go find them. Now, today what we do is this. We try to track people down, Right? Well, they were just wasting their day away. Doing what? Oh, probably praying. (laughs) Getting close to the Lord. Being with him. Can you imagine if you would refocus your day and say, okay, my day is going to be for Christ and Christ alone every single moment of it. And as soon as I get up in the morning, I want to sit at the feet of Jesus. When I'm on my way to work, I want to sit at the feet of Jesus. When I get to work, yes, I'm going to do the best job I can. But I work as if working for the Lord, not for man. 
Because I'm going to always be sitting at the feet of Jesus there through worship, through the word, through ministry. What a blessing that would be. But you have to be prepared for people to look at you and say, what a waste. Keep your hand here in Matthew 26. Go with me real quick to John 12. There's an interesting passage in John 12 with the same context. John 12. John 12, and we're going to start here in verse 3. It says in verse 3 of John 12, Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Remember that verse. Verse 4, But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Stop right there. Don't read verse 6. Some of you are still looking at verse 6. Don't. You're going to have somebody that's going to make a comment. When you choose to sit at the feet of Jesus, when you choose to make your life Christ-centered, you're going to have somebody that's going to make a comment about you. You're going to. Mary, what a waste. I don't know. What is the typical wage for somebody? What's 30, 35,000, 40? I don't know. Let's just pick 35,000. Can you imagine if someone came into the church here today and said, James, here's my savings, 35,000, and I want to give this to the Lord. I want to use this for him and his glory. Amen. We have a lot of different ways you can use it, a lot of different ministries you can invest in. No, 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 you don't understand. I want to take it outside, douse it with gasoline, and light it on fire. That's, that's how I want to use it for the Lord. What a waste. That money we could have used for overseas missions. We have local missions we could have used that money for. Instead, you're just dumping it on the ground. That's what's going through their mind with Mary. They know the value of that flask. They know that. I mean, when they were sitting there and they saw Mary at Jesus' feet and they see her take that off and they see her break that, that's huge. And they sit there and say, that, that, that could have been used if you really wanted to offer that, Mary. We could have sold that and, and, and given money to the poor. How many mouths could we have fed? Yeah, but now look at verse 6. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and used to take what was put in it. Sometimes you really don't know somebody, do you? I mean, you see him sitting here. Maybe you serve with him. But there may be motives going on in their heart that none of us see. Judas was a bad guy. But you notice that nobody knew that Judas was a bad guy? Think about this. Think about what we know about Judas. Yeah, we know he betrays Christ. We'll get that in a few verses. Judas was the treasurer. You just don't put any schmuck as a treasurer. Right? You put somebody you trust. Somebody that you know you can take care of it. Somebody that will be faithful in that and you can trust them. Judas was the treasurer. What else do we know about Judas? We know that when Jesus told his disciples straightforwardly, he who I dip this bread in and he who I give this to is the one that will betray me. Do you remember that? And he dips the bread in. He gives it right to Judas. He tells to Judas, what you do, go do it quickly. And the other disciples say what? Oh, Jesus must have had a job for Judas to do. Because they could not imagine Judas would be the one that would betray him. In fact, the gospels say when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, all the disciples go, is it me? Is it me? Because they thought it could have been them. It was Judas. But they couldn't believe it. So the respected man, the treasurer, the one that people couldn't believe. So what we could piece together from these gospel accounts is Mary does this. Judas says, guys, guys, we could have sold that for the poor. All of a sudden the disciples are like, yeah, he's right. Judas is right. We could have sold that. 
for the poor. Time reveals someone's heart. Time reveals. For three years, Judas fooled everybody except Jesus. Time reveals hearts. And we need to remember, sometimes we need to step back and realize somebody's heart will be revealed in time. And Judas's heart is revealed. If you would just look at this story and compare Mary to Judas without knowing what Judas is about to do, almost all of us would side with Judas. Sell it. Give it to the poor. That's a much better ministry. Mary, we appreciate your heart. But you know what? Time to get up from his feet. Mary, it's time to go do something. Your sister's in the kitchen doing dishes. Come on, Mary. Do your fair share. But every time Mary's mentioned... Jesus always says, she's doing the good thing. She's spending time with me, focusing on me. Look at Jesus' response. Verse 10. Why do you trouble the woman? Paraphrased. Quit picking on her. She has done a good work for me. This is good. Guess what? Sometimes your good works will be attacked. You would do everything right, and it will still be attacked. I don't know how many times out here at church I, I hear a rumor about something. Somebody's come up and said something about this or that. Or sometimes it's personal. And I sit there and think, what did I ever do to this person? Why are they saying these things? That happened recently. And next thing you know, what came to my mind was Matthew 5. Where Jesus said what? Blessed are you when they say all types of false things against you for my name's sake. And we had a long talk at a discipleship class recently about that. Why do we think we're going to be exempt for those things? Think about that with Jesus. They always said things about Christ. They didn't like John the Baptist. He was too weird. He was in the wilderness eating locusts covered in honey. He's he's too weird. We can't relate to him. So Jesus comes, sits down with them, eats with them, drinks with them. And guess what? They called Jesus a drunk. So Jesus says, I can't win. John's too weird for you. I come and act like you in the sense of socializing and talking and eating with you. And you call me a drunk. Jesus says, you guys can't be pleased. You know what that means? We have to reach a point mentally in our mind where we quit being man-pleasers and we become God-pleasers. You will never be able to please man. You never will. They'll always want more from you. They'll always want something different from you. They'll say one thing and then 10 minutes later say something else. The gospel says that Jesus never fully committed himself to men because he knew what was in their hearts. Think about that. How often do we spend our time and energy trying to make people happy? You can't. Serve your Lord, put him first, and if he tells you to break the fragrant oil and dump it on his feet, then you do it. It's not a waste. That's what the Lord led you to do. We have to reach a point where we say, Lord, I'm going to be a God pleaser and not a man pleaser. Because in time, it will reveal the heart. Mary chose the good thing. What else do we see what Jesus said? Verse 11. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. Christ is saying your focus should always be me. Always be me. Whatever we do, our focus is Christ. It doesn't mean that we don't do other things. It doesn't mean we don't serve here or do this. But our focus is always Christ. Now think about this statement. For the poor you will have always. That's not a very politically correct comment, is it? Can you imagine somebody running for office, standing up and saying, I want to let you know my policy is this. We'll never abolish poverty. It will always be here. And so we're going to quit throwing money at it to try to take care of it because it's never going to go away. No, we feel good about that, don't we? We feel good when we send money towards it. But we'll take care of this. It's never going to go away. The poor you will have with you always. There are always people struggling. Why? Because we live in a cursed, 
fallen world, you would not be able to abolish the effects of sin. You never will be able to until Jesus takes us all home to heaven. So with that mindset being said, our focus is Christ. And as you focus on Christ, verse 11, you also minister to other people as we do it. We have no delusions of grandeur. When we go the 18th into the nursing homes, amen, I hope people get saved. But there's always going to be non-believers that are going to reject the gospel. If we go next Saturday up to Toledo, amen, I hope we plant seeds and help families out. There's going to be families that reject it. There is. But what do we do? We keep our mind, heart, and soul focused on Christ. That's what we do. Verse 12, for in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. She got it. Jesus is saying, guys, she's the only one that got it. She's not going to show up at the tomb trying to figure things out. She's not. She gets it. And why did she get it? Because she was at his feet on a regular basis and she understood it. Jesus is trying to tell them, hey guys, in a couple of days I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. Mary's like the only one that says, well then we should probably anoint him right now. Once again, she got it because it was at his feet. And we'll ask what about verse 13? And surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. That's exactly what we're doing right now. We're still talking about her 2,000 years later. We're talking about the sacrifice that she was willing to make. Okay, now let's step back for a second. Let's just look at the heart of Mary. Always at Christ's feet. What a great place to be. She was willing to literally sacrifice everything for the Lord. Everything for him. Because he, she was, he was the most important thing. What else do we see? She's the one that got it. Why? Because she was always at his feet. What a beautiful picture and example for us to follow. And I encourage you this week to step back and say, can that be me? Can that be me on what I do? Who's the other heart we need to talk about? Judas. Once again, let me repeat this point. If you did not know the full story, Judas looks better than Mary at this point right now. Time revealed Judas's heart. What happens next? Verse 14. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. This man said, You know what? You want him? I'll give him to you. What will you give me for him? 30 pieces of silver, that is the going price of a slave 2,000 years ago. I'll sell them for 30 pieces of silver. Who is Jesus to Judas? He was just some money to him. So was this the final breaking point? Hey, Judas, I know what's going on in your heart. You just want the money. Judas says this is enough. I'm just going to go sell him and get what I can out of him. You have to stop and ask, whose heart are you going to focus on? On the outside, Judas looks good. He looks moral. He looks spiritual. Let's sell that and give it to the poor. Mary's heart. Why the waste? I'm telling you right now, some of you, to your co-workers, friends, and family, your life looks like a waste. The only thing you do is go to church and read and go help people and do stuff. I mean, you have no fun. And then you look at the world, and you see everything they have. Yeah, but what's more important? What's more important is being willing to sit at the feet of Jesus. That's what's more important. Now, there's one other thing that we need to say about this before we kind of close up here. You know, we read back in John 12 about how when 
Mary broke this open, that the whole house was filled with this fragrant oil. Just the whole house was. I was reading and doing some studying, and I just want to share something that John Corson said about this. I thought this point was really good. It says, John goes on to tell us that after Mary broke the alabaster box, the entire house was filled with the aroma of the ointment. John 12, verse 3. It says, Mom and Dad, does your house stink? Do you find there's tension in the air? Do you feel your marriage is on the rocks? Do you worry your kids are falling apart? Let me tell you the secret of Mary. The whole house took on the fragrance of Jesus because she was at his feet. Take Mary's mindset. Dad, when your house stinks, gather your wife and your kids around you and say, let's stop and seek the Lord's blessing for a few minutes. You will be amazed how this will affect the aroma of your house. I suggest that perhaps the key isn't always counseling or child-rearing classes. As helpful as those things might be, the real power lies at Jesus' feet. Mary discovered this, and the whole world knows her story. Boy, isn't that the truth? Boy, I've seen it in my marriage. There's been times of tension where things get built up, and what we just need to do is stop, grab hands, pray real quick, read a scripture, get refocused. It's like resetting the computer, just refreshing. We've got to get our focus back because we're getting so worked up in tension and arguments and fights. Listen, I only bet some of you came in here this morning and it's a battle. Your house is a battle. Your life is a battle. There's something going on right now that is just eating you up and you are filled with just frustration and tension or worry, fear, whatever it is. Go spend some time at the feet of Jesus. Get your eyes back to where it's supposed to be. Get the focus back to where it's supposed to be. There's a statue over in Europe. I've seen a picture of it. It's really kind of fascinating. And it's a picture of Jesus. But he's looking down. And the only way to see Jesus' face is to get at his feet and look up. And there's a plaque on the bottom that talks about Mary. And it says, if you really want to be able to see the face of Jesus, you need to sit at his feet. There's a lot of truth to that. It means changing the way you look at life. It means putting things off sometimes. It means putting things off to the side. It means reprioritizing and say, Lord, I'm going to sit here at his feet and just soak up Christ. And when that happens, you'll get it. Once again, there's two hearts, two hearts in our our passage this morning. Which one are you going to choose to be? Now, a lot of you are going to say, well, obviously not Judas. Thank you. But are you also willing to do what Mary does? Stop your life, sit at his feet, make the sacrifice. Realize people are going to say stuff, maybe call your life a waste. But you're going to step back and say, Lord, that's what I need to do. That's exactly where I need to sit, and that's where I want to be. This sets us up then for the Passover meal next week. And it sets us up for Jesus' arrest and eventually his death on the cross as we get closer. But for right here, right now, we have to stop and say, what heart? What heart are we going to be? Because it goes back, remember when we were talking about um, oh, the Sermon on the Mount, way back in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This ongoing theme of that was what? Jesus just wants your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when you get that done, everything else comes into place. Everything else starts to make sense. Hey, let's pray here. Lord, You just want our heart. And I pray that we would be willing to give that to you this morning. And all that we say and all that we do. Whatever struggles we're facing with right now, help us to look at them through the eyes of Christ. Help us to sit at your feet and focus on you. To be a God pleaser, not a man pleaser. If there's a household here this morning that is having a tough time, I pray just as we read that that house could be filled with the aroma of you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would focus on you and you alone. 
not to have that heart of Judas, but the heart of Mary, to learn of you, to grow in you, and just to spend that time with you, to represent you in all that we say and do. We thank you and praise you for who you are, what you're doing, and we love you. We lift this up in your name. Amen. The worship team wants to come forward.